interesting how we always return to the apocalypse, both as a concept of our inevitable future and as an event that has already occurred. We are obsessed with death and endings. Let's find out what's involved in the apocalypses of Zero Hours, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. Last week, we played the first episode of the anthology Zero Hours, These Familiar Spirits. Today, we're interviewing co-creators Zach Valenti and Sarah Shackett of Long Story Short Productions. The team behind Zero Hours also includes Gabriel Urbina, and due to this team's long history of producing audio work together, we dig into collaboration, new experiences, and learning from and leaning on each other. We also discuss the religious themes present not only in these familiar spirits, but across the whole show. And I even got Sarah to share some weird Christianity facts. Please be aware that the following interview contains discussions of religion and colonization and concepts of the apocalypse. Okay, so welcome to uh, Radio Drama Revival, Sarah and Zach. We are super excited to have you here and get to talk about Zero Hours. Um, I hear that there were fisticuffs thrown with Gabriel over who was going to come on to speak, uh, since we can only take two of you. <laughs> he sends his deepest love and respect for you and his deepest spite and hatred for us. <laughs> Extremely good. <laughs> I'd love to start us off with bringing audience members who haven't heard the story of your uh, three-person like collaborative team into the fold. Um, so what was the beginning of Long Story Short Productions, and what apocalypses did y'all weather on your way to where you are now? If you have spent 0.5 seconds with any one of us, you will learn that we went to Wesleyan University. <laughs> Um, and we were all in the film program together. Go West. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, and uh, Zach and I were the same year. Gabrielle was a year below us. Uh, and when we all graduated, we took that very, very well. Um, we were immediately able to get gainful employment uh, and start working on creatively fulfilling. No, we were no. very broke no, and poor and sad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and uh, th it was through Wolf 359, Gabrielle had this idea for a show that he thought was a good fit for audio as a medium. He sort of put it out on Facebook like, hey, I, does anyone voice act? And Zach immediately started haunting him through uh, Facebook messages. Um, it was a I, shakedown. Uh, yeah. A legit shakedown. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I conned him into sending me sort of the materials that he had and sort of began working as a script doctor. And because of the extensive blackmail he has on me, was able to pull me in as a writer eventually. <laughs> um, and and we, I, I think, got forged in the fire of Wolf 359 and, and had such fun making that series and found such a fulfilling creative partnership between everyone who was working on that show and also the three of us that we were like, we should just keep doing this. Um, and that's kind of how uh, things like Time Bombs and, and Zero Hours happened. Am I missing anything, Zach? Long story short, 
That is the story. <laughs> Long story short, nice. um, obviously for fans of Wolf Three Fifty Nine, that is a uh, the name of the company itself is a direct lift from one of our favorite many episodes of that series. No spoilers. Funk band, light spoiler. Um, it's all good. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, our interest and commitment and playing around in this space uh, just. It, it, we we got bit by the bug and couldn't go back and especially the the feeling of freedom in coming into audio fiction having grown up in film and run into the hard limits of an art form that requires locations and release forms and like you know like insurance and all these things and and let alone vfx and stuff that is just untenable for people managing uh you know like fresh out of college careers and student debt and all the stuff that we were all facing um you know at the start of uh our our audio fiction journey um after the apocalypse of the finale of Wolf 359 for us, which my favorite definition of the apocalypse, I forget, this must have been from the days of cable on some like History Channel show. But so, somebody once said uh, the thing about the apocalypse is it's not the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. And I feel fine. Any, anyone else? And anyone else? Okay, I'll, I'll go back to editing. This is Will. Sorry, I, I just couldn't not. Definitely, at the coming towards the end of Wolf 359, having never really done anything that got the kind of traction it did on the internet, it was bittersweet because there was the need for sleep that we all had and the many other projects that all of us were sort of, you know, uh, making work, including day jobs. Um, and then there was also the real fear of like, you know, who will we be when we are not actively producing this thing? That is why most of the people that we interact with online know about us. Um, and and then also that, you know, in that bittersweetness, the uh, the freedom to create something new and try yeah. new stuff and learn new stuff. And then also the fear of like, will it be any good? And will people like it who like what we previously <laughs> did, which is why I was so happy that we just took a week to just knock out time bombs um and make something for the sake of making something new without a lot of pressure on ourselves to make it perfect which is why we would we would never do anything uh if we hadn't i think ripped that particular band-aid and then zero hours it's weirdly the most functional production i think we've had is time bombs <laughs> that is disturbingly accurate. why does that not surprise me literally at all it shouldn't it shouldn't it does <laughs> It's a problem. <laughs> Zero hours was meant to be time bombs, but sensible. Um, and that didn't happen. And so I guess that brings us to zero hours where we'd given a little bit more thought uh, and and wanted to give ourselves some more time and also wanted to try something different fundamentally in, in the direction of we'd done serialized, you know, the sort of episodes building on each other uh and we'd been big fans of uh other shows that are anthology series uh including the show called anthology which as one of our dear friends in in la uh, was putting out um around the time that we were thinking about making zero hours maybe a couple years before um and yeah so telling stories 
that revolved around this theme of the ends of the world with that definition in mind, that it's not necessarily the end end, like the planet exploding, no spoilers, um, but, you know, uh, explores that idea of the end of an era, the end of somebody's, what somebody knows. Um, and yeah, getting the Etch-A-Sketch of individual self-contained episodes that can kind of feel of a piece at the same time. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, when you were transferring, not transferring, when you were transitioning from uh, Wolf 359 into um, time bombs and zero hours and the structures that you put into place is that you got to learn new things. And I know that you both got to have new directing experiences with zero hours because Sarah, those familiar spirits was the first time you directed something you hadn't written. And Zach, you'll know when was the first time that you ever directed. Um, That's Correct, so, yeah. except for the really crappy movies I made in the basement of my uh, New York City apartment as a very wee child. We got to keep those in. Tell me about what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was an awesome opportunity. I think that Wolf 359 being Gabrielle's brainchild initially and just like, you know, like him being the creator of that show was just very, you know, clear early on that that was kind of his baby and we had some opportunities to play around um with like like i got to write like a couple episodes and um i think there was like some opportunity for us to do like a little bit of stuff in the room together in various places but this was the first project where the gloves were fully off and it was just explicitly on the table that we are here to get reps and everybody on the team wants to be on the field and the different spots for the sports metaphor that's going to break down because I do not know sports, but I know that there is a ballpark and we were in it with, with this metaphor. Hashtag writing. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, um, and I, uh, yeah, uh, in in the way that the entire series was sort of. Freeing and fun, which is weird to say about an apocalypse show, but here we are. I think that says something about us. Um, <laughs> like I, I was very nervous on the the episode of Wolf that that I wrote and directed. Um, and with uh, those familiar spirits, not only was like it a Gabrielle piece, so I was like not worried about it dramatically at all, even a little bit. Um, but it's also about a time period that I have like a nerdy knowledge about. So it's like just fun to be able to be like, oh, I get to be the obnoxious history nerd that gets to bring something to this. And I think that's a that was such a great thing um, for like a first, not your not your baby directing piece. It's like, okay, I'm coming into this and I can just sort of bring, you know, the perspective that I have and sort of find find ways to to sort of inflect that into this. And of course, with Zach and Ariella, like, it's it's like bowling with the like kitty pads on the gutters. Like you can throw the ball however you want. They're gonna be fine. Like you're gonna hit the pins. It's all good. Um It's it's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, so I had a lot of fun. Let's take a break for a segment that I'm like to call weird Christianity facts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Sarah, as you as you joked in the live tweet thread for those familiar spirits, please tell us about John of Leighton. Oh my god. <laughs> like this is why zero hours was such a gift. It's because we have like weird 
Uh, I mean, the three of us collectively by the we. Um, I'm not I'm not talking in, in the royal we. Um, we have we have like weird uh, sort of stories from history that we're like, this has to be something. This has to be an episode of something. Uh, and, you know, none of it fit into Wolf 359, which takes place in space. So annoying. Be better, Wolf 359. Um, <laughs> but John of Leyden was a uh, Anabaptist uh, preacher in Germany in the 16th century uh and uh there's this grand tradition in sort of like that er coming out of the renaissance into the modern era uh religious warfare period uh where you get just a bunch of apocalypse cults just hanging out in germany um and sometimes they take over munich and like throw people in cages and it gets super weird and funky um (laughs) And so one of the ideas that was really compelling for us when we were sort of thinking about, okay, this is a series that's going to take place at different points in history, is someone who really believes that sort of the biblical apocalypse is coming, and then it doesn't. And that was the sort of genesis for those familiar spirits. Um, you know, pulling from from that idea, which is it takes place earlier in history, and also sort of that like, Puritan tradition in America, those familiar spirits is, I think, the the original working title of the Crucible. So, like, bringing in the Puritan um, sort of history that we have here in the U.S. Uh, it, it was kind of a melding of of John of Leyden and and um, and that sort of uh, Proctor John kind of stuff. Didn't he declare himself king of something? He did. He was king of Jerusalem, yeah, right. which he definitely <laughs> controlled from yeah. southern Germany. Definitely, All thousand right. percent. <laughs> It's it's a fun wiki dive if you wanna if you wanna go look yeah. at look at John of Leyden. <laughs> Sorry, I just you posted that tweet about like having weird Christianity facts, and I was like, I have to have a segment called Weird Christianity Facts. <laughs> you know, any any time doesn't even have to be a show that we've worked on. We'll yeah. come for weird Christianity <laughs> facts. Um. So conveying the apocalypse in this show is a lot more than this obvious biblical end, right? It's more than the just the crack of thunder and the splitting earth. So, Zach, what aspects of design and soundscape did you pay particular attention to in order to immerse the audience in the personal apocalypses of Zero Hours? So this is going to sound unrelated completely, but it is what I was most sort of excited about technologically. Uh, This is the first series that I worked on where I got my hands on a piece of software called UVI and its corresponding Walker plugin, which for anybody unfamiliar is basically a very complicated way of saying I spent a lot of time on footsteps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some nerds. Did you have like a MIDI keyboard that you could that you could play to do the footsteps? Exactly. So. Essentially, some nerd somewhere uh, took a soundstage and a bunch of different shoes and a bunch of different like like surface materials and recorded every possible variation of like high heels, work boots, dress shoes, uh, sneakers, and like materials like linoleum, creaky wooden boards, uh, uh, certain different kinds of grass and leaves and dirt and snow and all these different textures. And then, yes, it maps it so you can play it on a, a MIDI keyboard. So like, you know, I for 
weeks at a time was just like up at all hours uh, doing other things for sound design, but then obsessively going in and recording, like walking with my fingers on the keyboard. Um, and there's like skid step buttons and regular steps and you can put it into stare mode. Um, and it, it's just one of those bizarre things that coming out of school, I never would have guessed I would spend a meaningful proportion of an October doing. Um <laughs> And it was really cool to see you get like several new toys for this and just like, oh, we didn't think this was a thing we could do, but Zach can do it now. It was awesome. <laughs> it was really, really remarkable. Um, so so that was like one half of the the new toy department that uh let us just make the walking in the show as much up an intentional part of the sound design as the talking. Um, which is not something that we dealt with before. Um, but then also I had for uh, some freelance work, gotten my hands on the Isotope, like everything sweet, like just the the software that they produce, um, which is for anybody unfamiliar with audio editing is just basically plugins and some standalone software for messing around with audio. Uh, the The main application is sort of like Photoshop for audio, which is hard to imagine. But if you're used to seeing like waveforms, which is just the kind of squiggly lines uh, that represent amplitude, so the volume of sound waves, um, you know, if you've ever uh, opened up a sound file on your computer, you've probably seen something like this. And early visualizers had this sort of thing. Uh, what you may be completely unfamiliar with is uh, looking at spectral editing which is just a different way at looking at audio than I'd ever thought about. And it's just amazing what it lets you do. You can actually, for instance, if somebody is uh, recording a voiceover and somebody else is blowing a whistle behind them, you can actually see in the spectral view, the frequency of the whistle and draw like a circle around it, like you would on a, a lens flare in a photo and digitally remove it. And it, it bl still blows my mind to this day what, we are capable of with audio just on a you know, relatively ordinary computer. Um, and so between that functionality and all of the various different reverbs and EQs that uh, came with that software suite, I spent a lot of time uh, just drenching the effects that we largely got pre-recorded in these, uh, the sound effects, um, which we licensed them from all sorts of sites like Pond5 and uh, SoundSnap.com. Um, but instead of just using those as is, making sure that they all had the tone that they would have in the space they were in. So, for instance, in uh, episode three, uh, Bitters, where it's the night before the uh, beginning of Prohibition, everything that's happening in the basement just has so many different reverb patches on it that I just like obsessed over until it was exactly the way I wanted to hear it. So, yeah, that was where a lot of my life went on this project and was a really great learning experience. Um, okay. So since we're talking about sound, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's have, let's have the time that we know that must come. Mm -hmm. Alan Rohde. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. I, um, the musical what can machine. you say? What can you say? So, um, uh, Alan Rohde is the composer, right? And and Gabriel mentioned in a Twitter thread in the early that in the early episodes, right? Um, he relied on this piano um, 
uh, like piano style uh, musical like tune, like sound, right? And then something more atmospheric for the episode set in the future. That's just like a high level distinction that that he made in the composition. Tell me more about Rhodey's genius for Zero Hours and in particular things that he did with the composition that you think audience members should listen for. Oh, man, I remember us talking about that turn like kind of in the abstract of just, um, you know, because we're, we're moving through time. And so we want the audience to feel that movement as well. So like, what if we stick with because Alan is incredibly versatile. It's really infuriating um, <laughs> in the best way. In the in in the absolute best way, uh, and so like we kind of, as as we do with everything, we sort of give Alan like a couple touchstones of like, okay, here are the things that we're thinking about in terms of score. Like you know, it's a it's a little Philip Glassy, or it's a little this, or it's a little that, um, and then you know he'll come back to us and iterate on on that idea and be like. Uh, okay, here are like nine different flavors of Philip Glass. Which ones are you thinking about? Um, and I remember <laughs> us having a conversation in your basement, Zach, of like, okay, this one, this one, and then this one. And through that sort of winnowing, we were like, oh, you know what would be great? Um, we're going to have like sort of a, a a minor key piano string variation that will take place in the pre-modern episodes. Um and then four, the one that takes place in 2019, then the present day, um, is there's there's going to be a switch that get, gets flipped at a dramatic moment. We have not written the script. Dramatic check to be cashed later. Um, <laughs> to be cashed later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and, and the future episodes will have sort of a, a more like synth-driven uh, versions of the theme, but the theme will keep repeating because these people are caught in cycles, right? Um, and that's the wonderful thing about Alan is he's able to think on that kind of conceptual level, but then execute like really unique sounding um, and particular themes that we can then thread throughout the story. Uh, so I think listeners will be rewarded on re-listens to Zero Hours where you can spot, okay, this kind of heartfelt music that shows up in, you know, this very intense moment in episode two kind of shows up like in a comedy moment in episode three that starts the turn down. So we're also like, we're nerds and we love sort of building music to cue the audience for how they uh, might need to um, feel or think about a given scene so that you can real realize something even before the characters do. The only other thing that I'll add to that, just for anybody in the world thinking about making their own audio fiction and have somebody like an Alan in their life uh, that they would like to work with, um, uh, just because of constraints, he's got a full life. We did not have infinite money. Um, we worked with him in this and on Wolf and on um, Unseen in a way of creating a library of music. So I think there's a lot of people who might listen to these and think that they are all custom scored, uh, which is actually not the case. Um, we basically- There's one bit in episode seven, I think, exactly. that we yeah. came to him, was like, this is gonna need to sound different. Um, and here's the scene, please score to that. And that happened a couple of times on Wolf too, but, but you are right, Gener overall, it's just, he gives us a library of things. Right. And just in the spirit of like um, 
showing the sausage and how we make it. Um, I thought that might be something interesting to the folks at home. So let's let's transition into um, talking a little bit more about some of the themes in Zero Hours. So the the religious apocalypse is usually seen as like a reckoning or a rapture, especially because of Christian imperialism, which we have discussed ad nauseum on the show. This <laughs> season has especially been ridden with questions about faith and religion. Um, but uh, Zero Hours, um, the apocalypse is in Zero Hours go in a very different direction in many instances, right? I'm going to quote one character from episode three here. Uh, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened, just the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Um, so what are your thoughts on how religion tends to depict the end of days and how did you react or respond to it in Zero Hours? Um, I mean, we're uh big old dummies and we did not know that like religion was going to play such a major role when we started thinking about the series as it ended up doing um which i think was for the best because we might have psyched ourselves out uh a little bit about thinking about world apocalypses and which one should we depict where and like trying to do a bit of a matching game instead of letting the theme sort of arise organically out of um, the stories we were interested in telling. But oh boy, did it end up being about religion um, and the ways <laughs> in which religion is very different from faith, right? That's I think what we discovered mm -hmm. um, yeah. as we were making the series and it, it, it was really cool. Um, because all three of us, and I think all three of us have slightly different interests when it comes to world religions, but all three of us have gone down those rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to bring all our different perspectives together and sort of come to a place of of being able to tell what ends up being kind of the same story about it, just in different ways, was super cool. One of my one of my early questions that I drafted here was what is the distinction for you between religion and faith? And I crossed it out because that's literally the show. Uh, and it's also a question that I asked one of my previous people on this show because <laughs> it's a popular, popular topic uh, lately. Um, but yeah. Um, no, and that's one since... of the, or go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. You speak. Yeah, and that's that's one of the cool things I I that I feel about the series kind of looking back on it. Like I think more than most things that we've written, it feels like kind of this this weird audio tattoo that we all got that reminds me of, <laughs> of where I was and who I was in 2019 and what we were all worried about. Um yeah. and it is it is not surprising that it is, you know, the ways in which um that, that, that it's about how we treat each other, both structurally and like on a person to person level, which is, I think, what we got out of them being all two people scenes is that you are dealing mm -hmm. with sort of the structures that these people are in and reacting against and also just on a human level, how we treat each other. Yeah. Um, and that kind of mirrors, I think, the discussion that the show has about religion and faith. You're here. I, I echo all that. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that I haven't taken enough time to appreciate the time capsule that it represents for us creatively. Mm -hmm. Like, I just remember really 
being at the edge of like what I can possibly do in turning around these seven episodes uh, the week before Pod Tales 2019, which was the last major public yeah. event I went to before not yeah, leaving same. the basement that I was living in for a year. <laughs> um, and as much as, um, you know, I respect anybody's religious beliefs. I've had my own experiences with the organized religions of the world and the problems that come mm -hmm. in with human organization, um, sort of yep. intervening in something that we could, you know, what we call spiritual spirituality. Um, and so getting to kind of explore these ideas was extremely meaningful, me meaningful to me at the time. And, uh, and in, during the course of the production, my, uh, my, uh, former cat Tiffany passed away. Um, so I had a lot of like art imitates life, imitates art going on um, while we That's were fair. putting this thing together. <laughs> yeah. The sky is falling is one of the ones that resonated the most with me. Um, I, that means it, a ton it haunts to hear. me to this day. That means a, a fucking ton to hear. I've uh, yeah. continued to have nightmares in that world and ever have threatened to uh, do like stories yeah. from the Citadel. Um, I think you should, right? I think I, you should. Like, I think you should, but also I think you you shouldn't if if it means living in a nightmare. Because man, that that episode. So this sky is falling is episode um, six um, of zero hours, and it is terrifying. Um, it is absolutely the most terrifying episode of of all seven, um, and it, because it is terrifying in ways that are incredibly human. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, <laughs> but I was literally today, I was on in the RDR Slack and I was I was making, I was writing a question that I haven't asked yet. Um, but you will definitely hear, like, I am thinking about the Exarch uh, from, yeah. from episode six in this question, right? And it lit, haunts me to this day. It is 2021. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's like when faith and power get tangled up in each other uh yeah. the things that we can do e do to each other know no bounds i think and uh mm -hmm. um yeah i love that episode not only because it was the one that i got to uh write uh with gabrielle's tremendous support um and as well as sarah um i, I think uh just like in handing in the script the first draft uh was there was a lot on the page um, and Gabrielle did the Lord's work of shoring it up before we needed to record. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, the, the first draft wouldn't have been what it was without um, the teamwork that we all did in, in bringing the, the sort of spine together, together. Um, but it was also the episode I got to act in and God bless Mike Schubert for being God the villain. <laughs> like, and like I don't know about like y'all were so much fun to direct. I uh, can I just say that like yeah. Mike walked in and owned the room immediately, and I was like, <laughs> it was really good, scary, and excellent. A great way. We're gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah. So in this episode, Mike Schubert uh, plays a terrifying character, and if you ever wanted to hear the host of Potterless Pod be terrifying, listen to Zero Hours, and you'll hear him in episode six. Uh. Yeah, that was another joy of the show of like going to, oh, we really love Brig and Snow. How can we make him unhinged? Uh, we really love Mike <laughs> Schubert. Can we give him a villain role? 
like and and sort of finding our friends and finding you know as we were stretching ourselves also finding ways to like what haven't we heard these incredibly talented people do um and can we get them to do that uh which was a lot of fun and to to your point earlier with the question of getting to direct like getting to hop in one week and direct Sarah's incredible episode. You'll know when like that script, just like of, of all the episodes, the one that that gives me the most nightmares is just that beautiful couple and the wolf, the wolves that they're talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, no spoilers, but uh, yeah, it just, yeah. The, the fluidity and band like aspect of the project in terms of like the different hats we got to wear was excellent. Radio Drama Revival has been showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators for 14 years. If you've enjoyed this show, if it's helped you or healed you or done the unforgivable and increased your episode queue, please consider supporting us and the show's continued existence. One way you can do that is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special secret Discord server for everyone. We organize digital parties involving PowerPoint presentations, relaxed chatting, playing podcasts for everyone, and more. If you can't come, you can see the content later when we upload it to Patreon. I'd love to see you there and talk about podcasts with you. And yes, you can find out what weird noises I make on mic when I'm recording this that get cut out and saved as bloopers, or as Will likes to call it, blackmail material. And now back to our interview. You know, we're talking about a lot of collaborations. So let me let me ask this next question. Actually, zero hours as episodes depict people convincing someone else to do something with them. Mm-hmm. A collaborative effort to push forward on something they want until, of course, season finale, which we won't spoil here explicitly for reasons. But there is always intention and action, even in scenes depicting actual religious figures. So what is the value of collaboration and why is it not enough to just have faith? I think the thing I've always made a distinction between faith and trust where trust is uh, earned over time because while it may require faith in the beginning in collaborating with another, being vulnerable and taking risks and putting in the work and all this, after a couple rodeos, you don't necessarily need to rely on the faith, maybe in attempting new things with the same people. But there's also that track record, which I, I could, you know, distinguish with that word trust. Um, and I know I couldn't have discovered and explored and expressed like so many of the things that I've been able to accomplish as an artist without the tremendous work and partnership of. Sarah and Gabrielle and everybody else that we collaborate with. And so, you know, I think who I am as somebody who creates does not begin and end inside myself. And and that's where we are the collaboration as much as we are individual. Yeah. And I mean, to add on to that, just sort of in, in the story world, you have people who are trying to convince others to go along with a vision that they have. And then you have people who are trying to convince others to think about a wider world, think about more than themselves. And I think, you know, one of the things that faith asks of us 
is to transcend our own interests and limitations, and that change, power, whatever, um, is not something that only one person can ever affect. Um, and I think that's true in the story world, and that's certainly true of us as a as a team. Like, th- there's no way, like we, there's no way we could do <laughs> any of this without each other. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the it. As, as Zach, you said so beautifully, it starts with an act of faith of, oh, I think this can work. And it becomes over time um, this incredible trust of, oh, I know we can do this, even if it's something we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that really stuck out to me um, in Zero Hours as I was thinking about these distinctions between religion and faith, right, and collaboration and change and also power is that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Catholicism and Christianity and colonialism. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of and, quality nodding on this podcast. Yeah, quality nodding. <laughs> uh, and how specifically um, faith doesn't necessarily mean that you are thinking of anything beyond yourself which I think is something that that comes up in at least two different episodes that I can think of, um, if not more, but specifically. And if you're curious which ones, I'm thinking of episodes five and six. Yeah. Again. Um, <laughs> um, but in Zero Hours, this isn't something that you like allied over, right? This is definitely something that you talk about. And I think it is really impressive the way that you do that in two different ways. And I want to I want to ask about that. So in in those familiar spirits, that's rooted in something a lot more real, right? Because it's Puritans, it's history, and you make <laughs> you make the hilarious joke about like you're an Anglican. <laughs> it's it's Amazing. maybe my favorite Amazing. joke in the series. Like amazing. I I love that joke so much. Yeah, it's extremely good joke. <laughs> Um, you're not a Quaker, are you? <laughs> good God. Um, so like that that segment, right? It's it's like rooted in something real and something much more tangible, I think, because it's history. Um, and then when you get to things like episode six, um, with a uh, religious authority that is not a, not hopefully ever a real one, <laughs> um, it becomes a lot more abstract but only in the sense of it's literally the end of the world guys (laughs) um um, but when you were setting it up and like setting up all of the like when you were seeing them all together in one piece um what were your did you change anything in order to highlight that that power like realistic differential like did like what changes did you implement that we maybe don't know happen because we're listening to the finished product. I think part of part of the the issue was it took us a very like we were building the plane as it was flying, so it was very hard for us to see a hole um, because these scripts were getting written so quickly, um, and then the recording happening so quickly on top of that um, is that we didn't really allow ourselves time to like survey the landscape. But I know particularly for episode six, um, I sort of I. I I don't think I've ever said this aloud to you, Zach, but I, I sort of think about that episode as like Snowpiercer Catholicism. Um, I couldn't where, have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> where, yeah, man. Uh, like your initial 
idea for it wasn't necessarily rooted in like particularly um I think it was a theocracy, but I think it wasn't like that particularly like Catholic uh right. sounding stuff. And like that at, by the time we were revising it, like it's felt organically right because, you know, we know that we're calling back to episode 1 and that that's part of what makes the anthology feel whole. So it was less like let us make a point about how bad Catholicism is. Um, and more just and more just like, okay, this is these are the resonances that we're playing with. And this is how in this world this comes up again in an imagined context. Um, so it it is is both intentional and not, um, but f- was sort of like, mm, this just fits. Uh, unless I am misremembering no, anything, no, that, Mr. Ri- writer man. I, I was going to say that uh, basically sums it up that like where we could, we tried to do smart things and mostly we are in our sweet spot of retroactively clever um, by accident. <laughs> Classic. Um, Classic. By, yeah. Y'all, I'm never going to get over like we're going to write a series about the apocalypse and you didn't think about religion. <laughs> I'm I'm literally never going to get over that. Just seeing <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, we you. were like we were thinking about death, and yeah, that doesn't I'm necessarily sure have a religious context to it because we're idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it came up; it came up very quickly. Um, I will say, yeah. uh, it just the whole thing happened very quickly. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the real, in the sense of, did it ever feel like the end of the world while you were producing Zero Hours? Short yes. answer: Yes. <laughs> Longer answer. Tell me, tell me about your personal apocalypse, <laughs> and in particular, right? Uh, whether anything that happened because of this feeling like it was the end of the world went into the show, or into the show in the sense of like not necessarily writing or directing, but also into the show in the sense of like the way that you talk about it. I distinctly remember a moment, um, like somewhere in the order of like, what's forty-eight times two? hour like like basically like four days before this thing was supposed to be live just like sitting on my floor head in my hands like covered in tears just like how is this possibly going to be finished by the time it needs to be finished by um having gotten as little sleep that week as i would ever recommend anybody get Um, you were basically you basically lived the blitz in terms of the hours you slept versus the hours you worked um, and we have consciously structured ourselves so that that never happens again. It was extremely bad. <laughs> That's good. Um, I'm glad. And yes, and we have thankfully not repeated this mistake. Um, but yeah, no, that was definitely made it just an incredibly mm-hmm. poignant week. Like I was, I, I don't yeah. remember being more emotional and more professionally on point at the same time ever. <laughs> um, and I, I'm glad that I, you know, I'm glad I survived. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, We're really glad cherish, that we all yeah. survived too. Yeah. Cherish the the memory of it. And I'm not, you know, necessarily interested in Never repeat it again. It. Ever. <laughs> yeah. I just remember like there were several like sort of inflection points where I was like, this might all fall apart. This This show may not happen. We may actually destroy ourselves doing this. And like being really sad about it because I was so proud of the work. I was like, but it can't. We've got to do it. Yeah. Um, and I will say one thing that was cool about episode five. Um, yeah, I will say something that's cool about episode five 
is that was the one where I that was like we all got a future episode and and for mine I decided to be a giant nerd um and like write out a hundred years history of everything that happens from 2019 um through to uh 2118 when episode five takes place and like that that exercise of like okay here's how I think the world's gonna go um was like I think what allowed for that episode to be as you know sort of articulate of those conversations that we were having as it was um and that that was a a very cool uh thing that I got to do as a writer so this question is uh from Will's brain and my like random notes uh trying to create meaning uh <laughs> What does it mean to live joyously or ethically when faced with the apocalypse? That's not a big question. Um, Awfully fun size, like the (laughs) candy for October. Yeah, right. Do do you believe in souls? (laughs) I was there for that. You can't ask me that again. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Take your time. Uh, yeah. What is it? What does it mean for you? If it can be personally, it can be generally, whatever you like. Nice, nice, nice big question. I mean, we made this series. We did ask for it um, in a certain it's respect. True. So I think for, I, I can only speak for myself and I suspect that for all of us, we are still on the adventure of uncovering and exploring that which brings us joy. And I think one of the things that I've certainly found is this collaboration um, and the act of creating and the act of, um, of getting to play in the ways that I've felt, I feel I've uniquely gotten to through this medium of audio fiction. As far as living ethically, I've seen too much of the uh, sitcom The Good Place to know that um, the game is just rigged (laughs) in so many ways, just with the unseparability with the things that are, yeah, just you pay your taxes, you're bombing kids at some level. Um, And, you know, it's just complicated to, uh, to really look at how we can live ethically. And I think it, you know, if we have a hope of doing it, it's going to start with inquiring into first, you know, getting a handle on what's actually so in our world and and then what we can individually do and collectively um, seek to do. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those like, all we can do is keep trying. Yeah, um, I think that's that's beautifully said, Zach, and I definitely didn't uh get a little choked up about your thoughts which about collaboration which i share um i think you know this is this is a a series that deals with a lot of very christian and catholic themes um but one of the things i take from judaism and my judaism specifically is that like Oh, we really suck, people do. And it's very hard to create a righteous community. It's almost impossible. 
And <laughs> the way that you said that, I'm sorry. No, oh, no. we really suck. We do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that, no, and and, and we fail. And we can have something that seems righteous, but it it will fall apart. Um, and that maybe the point isn't trying to to. Uh, none of us can can really truly be righteous or vindicated. All we can really be is kind. Um, and kind isn't niceness. Kind isn't politeness. No. Kind can, yeah. means often courage um, and boldness and um, empathy. You know, not uh, not going along to get along. But I think in in this show and in life uh, as well, the characters that that make the best out of it um, are the ones that. Uh, choose kindness for themselves in the world. And I think that it is an adventure to sort of figure out what that means to you um, and what it means at, at particular points in, in time, because it can mean different things at different points in, in your life. Uh, and that that was something uh, that I don't think if you had put a gun to my head as we were writing, um, as I held like one eye open, because again, we were so sleep deprived. Um, that we weren't thinking about religion in the apocalypse together, you know. Um, I couldn't have articulated that, but I think it's something that I can articulate yeah. about zero hours. Beautifully said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for fielding a that question. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Our pleasure. Really. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's one of the things that we talk about. I've talked about a lot in several several different interviews with different creators is this this concept of like how can you live ethically and how can you experience joy when you are faced with what it is that we are faced with right now when we are faced with like the things that in real life that like knowing things that like kids in cages and like the ecology is like a mess. <laughs> And like all these things that you talk about in in different ways, um, right? And like the the way that the system is rigged against poor people, um, and just like how do you how do you exist, right? And how do you live? And how do you do the best that you can? And I think that those are some really poignant points to make, especially um, on a show that is dedicated to artists. Um, making art, it's hard to make art. Uh, Turns out. Who would have thought it? It's, I mean, it's hard to make art, period, right? But it's also extremely hard to make art when you're faced with what feels like the end of the world. And so, yeah. Thank you for making Zero Hours. It was really, really, truly incredible. You guys did, like, an amazing job. Please <laughs> never do that to yourself again. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, like, there's a part of me that really wants to go back and make more of the, more like, play more in that space, either with, existing episodes or just sort of in that um sort of structural sandbox and then there is the sensible part of my brain yeah. that's like no yeah, never I, again never again um but thank you for all those kind comments they really mean a lot so i've come to the end of my uh scripted questions including one uh random one that i thought of and uh had to articulate off the top of my head which as we see never goes very well um <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to talk about that you want to make sure gets mentioned uh, that we didn't get to? One thing that I particularly cherish about the era of zero hours and just an artifact specifically that brings great joy in my life are, are the amazing illustrations for every yes. single episode. And 
-hmm. we just like could not have done that uh without um yeah it just it, it, it was just an amazing experience working with Michaela Buckley and Michaela Buckley is yeah. a god just a deity oh. the the art for world enough is uh amazing and I mean, Michaela all has a video God. somewhere in the world of uh, specifically creating the one for episode six that is hysterical. Um, oh. I think it's hidden somewhere on her website. It's hidden right, on right, right. our website, too, on the Zero Hours oh, website. Excellent. That's, oh, that's oh yes, that's, that's right. It's in the extras. Yeah, you can find it. Mm -hmm. um, and it brings me great joy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Zero Hours with me. It was really, really fun to have you and to get to interview you. So I'm really thank excited. You. Thanks for having us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was yeah. such a pleasure. Um, we're, we're really glad that, that people are, you know, still listening to the show. If you liked what you heard, you can support Long Story Short and their future projects at zerohourspodcast.com slash support. Radio Drama Revival runs on Canada Dry Ginger Ale and constant reorganization of everything around us. If you'd like to help keep us afloat in featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of David. Hey, Biebs. David here, filling in for Anne. I hope you're all hanging in, keeping safe, feeling all right. And if the world is going to end, hey... I'm glad we got to hang out while it ended. I'm grateful to have spent my time in such good company. On a less downer note, um, something I've watched executive producer Fred Greenhalge do for the past decade or so is these really intense field recordings. And I don't just mean the on-location shoots he does for audio fiction. I, I mean, he'll like leave a mobile recorder out in a thunderstorm for hours, and he gets incredible sounds out of it. So uh, I'm going to try to live by his example. <clears throat> this episode is brought to you by the sound of a Washington, D.C. thunderstorm. Water fills our sunken patio space to a depth of three inches. Our potted plants drink deeply. My little lime tree grows and grows and grows. Play us out, Thunderstorm. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Kotskani Indian tribe, the Kaulitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalati tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Koss. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and line producer is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Diane Tapia. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our transcriptionist is Katie Yeomans. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhalge and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>